Okay, so it's me again, guys. Sorry. Um, this morning we continue on in our series in James, uh, titled "Faith uh, That Works." Faith that works. Over the last couple of weeks, post Easter, uh, we've spent time uh, looking together at a drawing near faith and a submissive faith, taken from James four and verses six through to ten. Uh, and this morning, it feels like we've moved on from this, this subject area in verses 6 to 10 um, into a new area. But without question, what we're going to look at today is deeply connected to what has went before us. So verses 11 and 12 of James chapter 4. Let's take a look at these words together. And again, it's a shorter passage. But that's no bad thing. God has so much for us within these uh, two verses. I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. The words are going to be up on the screen as well. So James says, chapter 4, and verses 11 to 12. Uh, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Amen. Let's take a moment to pray again. So, Father, we, we do ask that, that you speak to us through your word. Open up our hearts. Help us to see what your word says. May we just experience your grace as we apply these words to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning, our passage is titled, A Non-Judgmental Faith. A Non-Judgmental Faith. And we've titled it that because James presents us with a huge warning in verses 11 and 12. Uh, you could imagine these verses as having yellow, yellow and black perimeter tape uh, around them. Uh, James wants us to understand that there's a real danger when it comes to, to not taking heed of what it is he says in verses 11 and 12. We have to recognize that if we do not follow James' instruction and command in these verses, there is a, there is a significant cost to our lives and to the life of this church. Uh, I don't know about you, but this morning I'm not only struck by the directness of James throughout his book. I mean, he's just so black and white, isn't he? He just says it as it is, but particularly within these verses as well. But I'm also struck by how often Christians fail to take heed of these words in verses 11 and 12. By being judgmental, we do the opposite of what James says here. And how often we fail to address this as a major spiritual problem in our day. Not only are we judgmental, but we also don't address this as a problem. Um, even this past week, as I was preparing for this message, I was so aware in certain conversations that we were not living out these words. In fact, the very opposite of what we read in verses 11 and 12. And over a long period of time, there appears to be, and there has appeared to be, a disconnect between the words of James and the words of his saints. Um, that has not just been a problem for our church. This has been a perennial problem for the entire church over the course of history. I'm reminded of a book called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. Anyone read that book? What's So Amazing About Grace? No one? Yes, one. <laughs> um, in this book, he explains what caused him to write a book about grace. So he basically, at the start of the book, gives an outline of why he wrote a book about grace, God's one-way love towards us and he tells a story of a homeless prostitute who he met 
and who he was looking to support through a charity he was involved in. And she had this undoubtedly horrific, sordid story. It was rooted in drug addiction and prostitution. And after she had unpacked all the hardship that was going on in her life, Yancey asked if she'd ever thought about going to the church for help. And Yancey writes of how she responded to that particular suggestion that will be up on the screen for us. He says this, I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. I don't know how you feel about that quote. I think all of us, to some extent, can relate to that quote as we think about previous church experience. What I think we can agree on if we love and follow Jesus today is this. The power of our words and our actions towards others, whether it's believer or non-believer, can bring life or death to another. And James has already told us this before. The power of our words can bring life or death. We can all agree on that. Irrespective of what experience we might have had. So this should make us so thankful for the book of James and the word of God. Because James here says it as it is. As he always says it as it is. He lays out the thanks before us. He warns the dangers of doing certain things, including being a judgmental person. And he outlines why it is that this is a real, this is a real danger. And he does all of this in a way that if we're truly open to it, can't be ignored. So that's my invitation to you this morning. Be open, not to what I say, but to what James says. When we open ourselves to the book of James, we can't help but look at ourselves in the mirror. And I hope, as we look at ourselves in the mirror, we can trust in his spirit. And in his spirit, we can then live differently. Amen. We're in agreement with that today. Um, if you were to summarize this passage in three words, it would be these. Do not judge. Simple. As Andrew had pointed out last week, there's nothing complicated about a lot of what, what James says. Do not judge. That, that's the essence of what James is saying here. And what we're going to do this morning is, is come to terms with a helpful definition of what James means here by judge. From there, we're going to look at three reasons for why it is we shouldn't judge in this way. Let me begin by making what is a very important but often overlooked point about what James doesn't mean as he warns us not to be a people who judge. James doesn't mean that we should not lovingly point out other people's sin. This is not what James is saying here and the hope that they might come back to Christ or walk more faithfully and fruitfully for Christ. James is not saying this. That kind of judgment is in fact a part of what it means to be a Christian. This, this is what it means to be a part uh, of church, to lovingly correct one another. It's found throughout our Bibles. We are called to correct and love, and we are called to be open to correction as well. The whole purpose of that kind of correction is that the church would be strengthened, the lost would be saved. As a result of our deeper unity, Christ would be glorified. The church would be strengthened, the lost would be saved, Christ would be glorified as we seek to correct one another in love. And I would submit to you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus today and you've never received correction 
from another believer or very rarely received correction, then you're not living an authentic biblical community because this is what it means to be a part of a church. To be a part of a church means that we have honest conversations with one another in love. That's not all of what church is, but it is definitely a part of it, a component of it. And the Apostle Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 5 and in verse 12. He says, speaking about a particular issue of church discipline, he says, our responsibility as church is not to judge those who are outside the church. Our responsibility is to judge those inside the church. This is what Paul says, and this ties in with what James says here in our passage. And the purpose of this judgment, this discipline that Paul speaks of here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, is that the church would be accountable. The church would be accountable to one another, and ultimately the church would be holy. And I think deep down we all want to be holy. We all want to be more and more like Jesus. So to pursue that objective of holiness, we need to live in accountability to one another. And sometimes that can be messy. Sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that involves a lot of conversation and prayer. But it is so, so important. Otherwise, we're just kidding ourselves as we think about what church is. So James speaks about not criticizing one another. He's not speaking about turning a blind eye to our sin because that would serve no purpose whatsoever in Denison Baptist. It would serve no purpose whatsoever within this community. It would only ever lead to decay and, and destruction. So the question I'm going to ask is this, what is James getting at here when he calls us not to judge? If that's not what he's talking about, then what is James getting at here as he speaks about this subject of judgment? And in verse 11 in the CSB, James says this, he says, don't criticize one another. Don't criticize one another. And the Greek word for criticize is katalalian. That's really difficult to say. Katalalian. Okay. And it carries what are essentially three different definitions that are connected and overlapping. This word criticize can mean, and the definitions will be up here. So to offer a destructive verbal rebuke directly to another person. James says, do not do that. Or to gossip about someone when he or she is not there to offer a defense. Or to outright condemn and judge someone. So these are the three definitions that speak of what James writes within verses 11 and 12. Rebuke, gossip, and condemnation. Rebuke, gossip, condemnation. James says, don't do any of those. Don't do any of those. You only need to take one glance at the world to see how rampant these things are. This exists everywhere that we look, whether it be in social media, whether it be amongst non-believing family and friends that we have connection with. We see this all over the place, whether it be in our workplaces, rebuke, gossip, and condemnation is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's important we know these are not distinct sins. These are intertwined. Uh, more, more often than not, when one is being committed, the others are not far away. Um, or katalia, which is a verb form of this word, it can be a blend of, of two or three of these definitions. So we can condemn with gossip. Uh, we can rebuke with judgment. Our gossip behind someone's back can very quickly lead us to saying it face to face or vice versa. We can say it to their face. 
and then we can gossip about them. And we can even have all three, all three of these as one package in one particular moment with one sentence. Rebuke with gossip leading to condemnation, we cancel them. Cancel culture is, is rife in our society. And James says, do not be, do not be that, do not be a, a cancel culture. And the acceptable one of these, the most common one of these three varieties of judgment within the church is, is what? It's, it's gossip. It's gossip. Out of all three of these, gossip is the one that's more acceptable within the church. Uh, more often than not, when it comes to this, this community we call church, we don't verbally attack someone directly to their face. Most of us don't have the guts to do that. Nor do we outright cancel or condemn them into the history books. That comes with too much of a social cost. But oh man, Christians, Christians now, Christians past, love to gossip. Christians love to gossip because with gossip, you get the best of both worlds. With gossip, you get to attack someone with the added benefit of them not knowing about it or you thinking that they don't know about it. And with gossip, we can also think of it as a gain because often gossip is about fortifying alliances. So you can think that you're strengthening your friendship with the person you're gossiping with by talking about another person. So... What do I mean by that term gossip? More importantly, what does James mean? Because it doesn't matter what, what I'm meaning, it's just what James says through his word. I'm just bringing God's word to you today. And what does James mean when he speaks about this word gossip? Well, it's essentially this. Our definition for us today, and it'll be up on the screen for us, um, anything that we say or joke about, true or false, that presents a person not present in the conversation in a more negative light than before. That's the essence of it. That's, that's gossip. Anything that we say or joke about, true or false, that presents a person not present in the conversation in a more negative light than before. And that's, that's what happens. It happens all the time. Uh, gossip tends to start in a much more jokey, light-hearted way. We're just having a laugh about this person. Then over time, it, it evolves into more serious judgments and quite possibly condemnation. In fact, the more and more you gossip with someone, the worse and worse it will get. That's the reality. So let me ask you this morning, and I, I say this in love, and I recognize this isn't a, an easy subject for us to think about, but how important it is. Uh, as we think about this subject of, of gossip and, and slander and judgment. My question to each one of us this morning is this, are you a gossip? Are you a gossip? And it should not be a difficult question to answer. Uh, you will know deep down in your heart if you are a gossip or you're not a gossip. Are you a gossip with your family? Are you a gossip amongst your friends? Are you a gossip in the workplace? Are you a gossip in this church? I need to ask this question. I'm your pastor. I ask this question. Are you a gossip in this church? There is nothing more destructive than gossip. Gossip is what will kill the life of any church. Gossip is what causes churches to split. And trust me, I've seen this firsthand. 
I've been witness, I've been a part of a church where gossip was rampant and the church split. On two different occasions, I've seen this. When gossip is present, the spirit is quenched and the mission of the church is shelved. No one, no one is looking outward and upward. Everyone is looking inward and downward. So let me ask you again, because it's really important to ask you this. Are you a gossip? Are you a gossip? As your pastor and as one of the elders, as I've said, I have a responsibility to ask this difficult question because it is a question that really matters. And I ask this question of myself and my family. I ask this question of TJ and Paul and their families. And I ask this question of every single one of you who would identify this church as your home. Because ultimately, how you answer that question determines the spiritual health of Denison Baptist Church. That's the reality. The way you answer that question and the way we answer that question collectively determines the spiritual health of Denison Baptist Church. And I would be genuinely and lovingly upfront to say to you this morning, if the answer to that question is yes, I am a gossip, and if your response was then one of, after saying yes, deep down in my heart, I recognize that I'm not willing to change that habit. Yes, I am, and I'm not willing to change. Then you need to hear me say, it would be impossible for you to stay in this church. You could no longer be a part of this church. In fact, if you were unwilling to change that sinful habit, you would not be welcome in this church because gossip is toxic. Gossip destroys it causes decay, it creates division, and it results in, in people looking at the church and being dismayed and discouraged and not having an accurate picture of who Christ is because of how we are behaving. Now, I know this all sounds really serious, and I get that, and that's because it is, it is really serious, um, and I can't be any clearer than that to you. I'm accountable to one person. So when we turn a blind eye to gossip, God's glory is at stake, God's mission is at stake, the unity of this church is at stake. So we have to take us seriously. We have to take us seriously. I remember when I was a kid, one of my pals from church came over to the house. His mum and dad were meeting up with some other couples from the church. And my parents were sitting there had the responsibility of, of babysitting uh, their son. But it was a win for me. He was my best mate. So we got to hang out. It was all good. My friend's mum and dad came back at the end of the night to pick him up. Uh, my mum asked them how their night was. Uh, and they said this. It was great. We just spent the whole night talking about other people. And even then, 11-year-old me, as, as I heard that, thought to myself, time out here, that doesn't quite add up that we would be a part of a, a church community that that practiced that we're supposed to be a kingdom community so it didn't make sense then it doesn't make sense now and let's recognize this this morning it doesn't add up there's no scenario where gossip is right and um, you talking about someone or joking about someone who's not present in the conversation, which results in them being presented in a more negative light than before, will never, ever be acceptable in the eyes of God. And one day you will have to give an account for it. 
So let me invite you to commit to something this morning. So that's, that's heavy, heavy words, but very, very important words. Let me invite you to commit to something this morning. I wonder if, in the power of God, today you would be willing to step into this suggestion. And it's a dare. I dare you today. I dare you to be gossip-free for the rest of your life. I dare you to try it, to be gossip-free for the rest of your life. Today, you're one, you're one day closer to your death. You've never been closer to meeting Jesus than this day today. Praise God for that. That might seem a bit scary to you, but that's the reality. We've never been closer to meeting Jesus than today. And I wonder if you'd be willing to commit to never talking or joking about someone behind their back ever again. Making that commitment today in your heart. That's you from now on. That sin has been shelved. In Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you long to do that. That's your, one of your deepest desires. If Paul can say in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. Then why can't we just connect to that command? Be gossip-free always. I will say it again. Be gossip-free. You know, if you're rejoicing in the Lord always, how on earth can you gossip? So I dare you to commit today to that kind of radical life. And it's possible because Christ Jesus made it possible. He made it possible for you and for me. Not only did Jesus face arrest, trial, scourging, crucifixion, and death because of the gossip of one of his closest friends, Judas, but Jesus on his death on the cross, he took the sin of gossip. All of the gossip that has ever been committed, past, present and future, he died so that the power of gossip could be permanently cancelled. Amen? Amen? So Jesus paid the price for our gossip. So respond in faith today and live a life that's gossip free. I dare you. I dare you to do it. To try it. In his strength. Not in our own strength. I'm not calling you to to muster up all this strength within yourself to be gossip-free for the rest of your life. But every single day rely upon his power and live that way. So I believe God has placed upon my heart to share that with you this morning. Um, and my hope and prayer for you is you're challenged by that. I think we are all challenged. I'm personally challenged by that. But I hope you're encouraged as well. I hope you're encouraged. The Apostle Paul says something really interesting, which I believe is so important as we think about the subject of gossip. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, and I don't know if I've got it up on the screen, I do. So Paul says this, let all things be done for building up. All of it. Let all things be done for building up. And let me say that again, because it's so important we understand what it is that Paul says here. All things, every single thing, is to be done. The purpose of all that you do in your life is to build all of us up. Not just a few of us, not just our favourites. Every single one of us. There is no first class, second class members of DBC. We are all one in Christ. So, let all things be done for building all of us up. So that God, in Christ, looks at Denison Baptist Church. And he's pleased. He's pleased with how we're living because we're relying upon his power, our deepest desires to give glory to his name. And we're not focusing on ourselves and thinking about our feelings. We're focusing on our convictions that are from his word 
and we're seeking to live out the mission he has called us to live out. Amen. So this is James, James's motive, as well as Paul's, to build each one of us up. And what he does in the remainder of these two verses is unpack and explain in more detail why it is we should not be a people who gossip, who judge, who criticize, who condemn. And he wants us to see why it is that you and I should have this, this non-judgmental faith. So he gives us three reasons for why we should have a non-judgmental faith. And the first reason is this, you are not better than others. That's the first reason. And we see James making this point in both of our verses this morning. He refers to those around us, specifically the church family, as brothers and sisters in the first part of verse 11, as fellow believers, the second part of verse 11, and as neighbor, second part of verse 12. We all have the same value. We all carry the same identity. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all fellow believers. We are all neighbors. That's the reality of what James presents us with. And for all of these reasons, we should not judge. To be a brother and sister in Christ means that we're all part of one family. God is our heavenly father. James says this constantly throughout this letter. Brother and sister. And the reality is, the unspoken reality is that God is our heavenly father. To be a fellow believer means that we share common beliefs and values and our purpose is the same, to live out the great command and the great commission. So we are fellow believers, and it means we all carry that same value and purpose. To live out the great command, to live out the great commission. To love God with all that we are, and to go and make disciples. And to be a neighbor to each other means there's huge practical significance for how we look out for one another. Neighbor, that term neighbor is very, very practical. Very practical. So we can't help but hear this word neighbor and think about the Good Samaritan. Uh, Jesus' parable, the antidote to judgment is service. It's service. Let me say that again. The antidote to judgment, to judging other people, is service. Whilst everyone was slandering one another, whilst everyone was gossiping about each other, Jews to Samaritans, Samaritans to Jews, the Good Samaritan, what did he do? He served. He loved his Jewish neighbor by blessing him with practical help. And James is reinforcing this same point as he describes those around us as neighbor, as believer, as Christian. And through James, God is saying to each one of us here today, love them as I loved you. Love them as I loved you. Love them as I loved you. So God is saying to us today, love one another as I have loved you. So it's inconceivable that you and I could, in any moment of our lives, think it was okay to slander, to gossip, to judge, to condemn someone else in the church. It's inconceivable. If we understand the gospel and all that God has done for us, it makes no sense. If our heavenly call is to recognize that we are the same and to practically show love towards them, then how could we do that, either to our face or behind our back? Alec Mottier says this in his commentary in James. And I think it's just a helpful word for us. As we think about this passage, he says, a defamatory word may be perfectly true. We do not have to tell lies in order to defame, but the fact that it is true gives us no right to say it. True or false, it makes us superior to the other person, so that as even the very form of James's verb suggests, we talk down to them, ourselves adopting a superior position. If we are, re if we are really low before God, verses 6 to 10, we have no altitude left 
from which to talk down to anyone. The Apostle Paul actually alludes to this in Romans 8, 29. He says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many, many brothers and sisters. So Christ is one, Christ is superior, Christ is above all, and we are all the same. We're all the same. And that's good news. There is no VIP Christian. There is no very important Christian. There are no more important Christians than other Christians. We are simply Christian because of Jesus. Therefore, there's no place within the life of Denison Baptist Church for unrighteous and unloving judgment. Again, look at what Motte says in this regard in his commentary in James. He says, defamation begins and lives on in the mind. So when it comes to gossip, we gossip to ourselves, first of all, before we gossip to others. It is something we say to ourselves long before we pass it on. But if our minds were drilled in biblical attitudes, then love for our brothers would begin to root out censoriousness. Consideration for our neighbours would begin to replace the hurtful and arrogant word by helpful and caring pastoral concern. So instead of hurtful and arrogant words, we have helpful and caring action towards one another. That sounds, sounds pretty good. I'm encouraged by that possibility for us more and more within the life of Denison Baptist. James continues his unpacking of why it is we cannot judge. So we're, we're all the same. And reason two you are not judge over God's word. You are not judge over God's word. And have a look at what we read in the second part of verse 11. It says, anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer, defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So James keeps it very simple for us this morning. You judge someone else, then you judge the word of God. If you judge someone else, you are judging God's word. And that's a scary thought. You cannot do the word of God and judge it simultaneously. It's impossible. We cannot live out the word of God and at the same time judge it. When you judge, you put yourself in the quite unbelievable position of deciding which parts of the word of God you're going to obey and which parts of the word of God you're going to disobey. And in doing that, you attempt to shape the word of God rather than letting the word of God shape you. So the question I want to ask this morning is what parts of the word of God do we judge when we condemn our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we condemn those who are not in Christ? And the answer is pretty simple for us this morning. All of it. All of it. We judge God's word in its entirety when we choose to condemn in an unrighteous way. Have a look at what we read in Matthew 22 and 34 to 40. We read this from Matthew's gospel. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the final verse is key for us today. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. 
So we test the act of, of gossip, of slandering, of condemning somebody else in these two ways. We ask ourselves two very simple questions from Matthew chapter 22. We ask, am I loving the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind in this particular moment? As I'm saying these words, am I loving God? And number two, am I loving my neighbor as I love myself when I do this? And if the answer to both of these questions is clearly no, then in judging those around us, we are in fact judging this book or judging God's word. Have a look at what Douglas Moo says on this subject in his commentary in James. He writes this, However high an orthodox our view of God's law might be, a failure to actually do it says to the world that we do not in fact put much store by it. Again, we see coming to the surface James's understanding of Christianity as something whose reality is to be tested by the measure of obedience. So if we really do get what it means to follow Jesus, we will obey. It will be a faith that works. So I've shared this before. Let me just do it again because it's so important this morning uh, as we think about this passage. And I'm just going to move, stand forward a bit to demonstrate this. You're wondering what's going on here. Don't worry. Um, there are two types of Christian uh, in the world. There are those who stand in the Word of God and there are those who stand under the Word of God. Those who stand in the Word of God and those who stand under it. So first of all, those who stand in the Word of God. So don't worry. It's a strong Bible, okay? Um, so what am I doing? I'm standing on God's Word and in standing in God's word, what I'm saying to myself is this. I determine what the Bible says. I pick and choose what parts of the Bible are for me. I interpret myself what those parts that I've chosen mean. I will not be led and governed by what God wants and what God says. I will be led and governed by what I want and most importantly, by how I feel. I, in effect... What am I doing? I'm, I'm judging. I'm judging the word of God. And make no mistake, this is, this is possible for every single one of us. We all have a potential to do that, to stand in the word of God. Second of all, there are those who stand under the word of God. So we live our lives uh, in this way. And we say God through his Holy Spirit, he determines, not me. He determines what the Bible says. He gives all of his word to me as a gift. And all of it is for my absolute good. The Holy Spirit interprets all of his word for all of my life. Every single aspect, every single detail of my life. I will not be led and governed. This is really important for us today. I will not be led and governed by what I want and by how I feel. I will be led and governed by what God wants and what God's word says through his Holy Spirit at work in me. I, in effect, stand under the word of God and make no mistake about it, is this not the deepest longing of our hearts to live in this way and not to live like that? Do you not want to have more of this and less of that? Amen. If you profess faith in Christ today, has your life ever made sense 
when you have stood on top of the word of God? Have you ever had peace when you've chosen to interpret and judge what God's word says, cherry-picking certain verses out of context? Is it not the case that the path to peace is one where we submit and surrender to God's word? All of which brings us on to our final reason for why we shouldn't judge others. And have a look again at what James uh, writes to us in verse 12. We read this. Uh, there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and dis to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbour? And it makes sense uh, what, what James says here. Reason three, you are not God. Uh, and it makes sense as we look at what James says in verse 12. There is one lawgiver and one judge. And I think we all know this morning that that one lawgiver and judge, it's not me, it's not you, it's God. We all know that deep down. It's, it's pretty obvious to us that God is the one who judges. But James wants us to see that when we judge someone else, we act as if we have the power to save that person or destroy them. And the reality is we act like we are God and it's the opposite of the humility that James has spoken about and encourages, encourages us to live out earlier within this passage. And I know that none of us would ever consciously think that we were God. But this is a logical conclusion of a life that's marred by gossip, by slander, by judgment. We act in a, a functional way that says, I am God. We have spiritual delusions of grandeur but have no place in the life of a believer. Think about Genesis 3 for a moment. Satan tempts Eve, and in tempting Eve with the fruit, what is it that he says to her so that she might sin? Well, in verse 5, we read this. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Satan says this to Eve. The very first sin has embedded within it this false promise that when we reject God's word, we will be like God, and it's a false promise. It's a lie from Satan himself. And make no mistake this morning, when we reject God's word by gossip and slander, we functionally live in a way that declares, I am God. I am God. So this morning, I hope it's clear to us, in light of all that we looked at, a non-judgmental faith. We choose to live a non-judgmental faith for these three reasons. We are not better than ours. We are not judge over God's word. And we are not God. We are not better than others. We are not judge over God's word. And we are not God. So as we close, where do we go from here? How can we both understand what James says here about judgment? And how can we also let what James says here dwell in our lives richly? And dwell in such a way that we are gossip-free in 2023. That rhymes. And beyond 2023, into the rest of our lives. Could be like a slogan or something in the back of your car. <laughs> well, my invitation to you as we close is to not leave yourself with some kind of spiritual vacuum if you're going to gossip, gossip about Jesus. When you meet with our believers, tell them of the difference that he's made in your life. When you're tempted in your heart to gossip, turn it as an opportunity to encourage others with Jesus. And when you meet with other believers, even use that as an opportunity to tell of the struggles you have as you seek to follow Christ, because it's not easy from time to time. When you meet with non-believers, what an opportunity you have to gossip Christ to let other people know of what Jesus has done for you in your life and what he can do for them in their lives. And as I share all of this, I don't want to set the bar so high that it seems impossible. That you look at it and think this is un unattainable. 
I want us to see this morning that we need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need God's power to live this kind of way. So yes, the bar is high, but yes, the Spirit will carry us to that place of living in that way. This morning you perhaps recognize that there is sin in your life. It may be gossip. It may be grumbling. It may be some other sin or sins that you're struggling to break free from. And maybe this morning you need to take a moment to confess that sin before God. So I'm just going to invite every single one of us to, to bow our heads, to close our eyes and to bow our heads. And I want you to recognize that particular sin, whatever it might be, and the quietness of your heart to confess that sin before God, if you do that now. And knowing that as you do that, he is faithful and just to truly forgive you of that sin. Well, let me just remind you again, our God is faithful. He does see what you're going through. He does want to help you in whatever it is you're facing. So let me just take a moment to pray for us. Lord, we, we confess our sin. We confess the ways in which we have lived in the flesh and not in the spirit. And we pray that as you convict, we would trust in your promises. We would not trust in our circumstances. We would not trust in our feelings. We would trust in your word and we would rely upon your spirit. So forgive us, Lord, renew us and fill us with your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. If we just keep our heads bowed, I'm just going to also invite anyone here this morning who's wanting to make a step to follow Jesus. Or maybe this morning you want to be prayed for uh, because of something you're facing in your life. And maybe you want prayer for God's healing hand to be upon you. So maybe you want to make a decision to follow him. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by something. Or maybe you would want to ask for healing. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to do something really bold. Really bold. Um, with all of our heads bowed, if you would like me or someone else uh, to pray for you today, not right now, but after our service, during our coffee time, if you would like to receive prayer, can I ask you to just raise your hand whilst all of our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed? Thank you. So what I'm going to do now is, is pray for us all. We're going to respond with a couple of songs. We're going to have a time of, of fellowship, of tea and coffee together. Uh, and we're going to pray for one another. So let's do that. And I hope we, we can walk away from this time encouraged and blessed by all that God is doing in our midst. So let's pray together. Father, we, we commit uh, this final part of our service today to you. We, we pray that you would bless us as we sing, as we have fellowship, and as we pray for one another. Lord, help us to see that there is a much grander and bigger plan going on and much bigger than, than what we might face in our lives. But Lord, we recognize that what we face in our lives is real and difficult. And we thank you that we can turn to you now and trust in you. So by your grace, God, would you speak to us? Would you work in us? Would you help us to be a people who are holy in your sight? Because we have said yes to you and no to the things of this world and the temptations of evil one. Go before us in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.